0: One of the amazing uh, truths that we see in scripture, one of the greatest blessings that we see and we receive in scripture, uh, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, is that we have, um, we have instruction about prayer, but we also have examples of prayer to follow, um, So we're not left to kind of figure this out on our own. It has been given to us. I think of Moses interceding for the the people of Israel in the books of the law in the Old Testament. Or Solomon dedicating the temple in 1 Kings 8. Or or Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. or, Or the high priestly prayer of John 17 where Jesus prays for his disciples. Now... In all these different places, we're, we've been instructed in prayer, we've, we've been given examples of prayer to follow. And so we're going to look at one of those examples this morning uh, in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. Uh, but let's open, uh, first of all, this morning with a few uh, thoughts on what prayer is. Just kind of lay the, the foundation and the groundwork for what we're uh, going to be talking about this morning. Um, Dr. Wayne Grudem. In his um, systematic theology text, he, he defines prayer this way. Prayer is personal communication with God. It's actually fairly, a, a very concise definition, a uh, pretty simple thing, especially when you consider it's in a theology textbook. Um, personal communication with God. He, he then gives several different aspects or, or parts or, or facets of prayer. For example... Um, it might include requests, right? Asking the Lord for things for, for ourselves or for other people. Um, very very familiar with this aspect of, of prayer. It's, it's also a means of confession of sin. Uh, perhaps, you know, immediately after realizing that, that we have sinned uh, or perhaps at the end of the day we, we reflect and we think over our day and, and we... We go and we cry out to God and and recognize our disobedience to Him and ask for forgiveness. Um, Prayer is also, it's an opportunity to adore God. Um, Other synonyms for this are are cherish or delight in or treasure. We we treasure the Lord. We adore Him to to spend time just enjoying Him and, and seeing Him of supreme worth and value and our hearts and our souls, and, and time to reflect on that. And, and when we do that, it leads to praise and thanksgiving, which is another aspect of prayer. Uh, thanking the Lord for who He is, uh, perfection of all His attributes, His holiness and purity and justice and love, and, and all of those things. And we give, give thanksgiving and praise to Him for who He is and for what He has done. And so that's a little bit about Prayer, and we've given we've looked at that a little bit. Now, let's look at this question of why pray. Why do we go to the Lord in prayer? Again, Dr. Wayne Grudem has has addressed this in a a couple of different points. First of all, uh, prayer expresses our trust in God and is a means whereby our trust in Him. Can increase. So in praying and petitioning to God, we're recognizing His sovereignty. We recognize our reliance on Him. And as we do this, it has this effect of increasing our trust in Him, increasing our reliance on Him. Secondly, prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God. And He loves us and delights in our fellowship. With him, So we pray and we spend time with Him. We talk, we rejoice, we cry out. All of this is leading to deeper intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And thirdly, uh, in prayer, God allows us um, as creatures to be involved in activities that are eternally important. God receiving the glory that His name is due is eternally important. The salvation of those who are lost is eternally important. The taking of the gospel to the nations is eternally important. The sanctification of of believers in their growth, in their admiration, in their treasuring of Christ throughout their whole lives is eternally important. And so we pray. Now, this doesn't mean that Somehow God is dependent on our prayers to accomplish His will. We know that. He He will accomplish all that He desires to do with or without us. But this is, through prayer, we have this incredible privilege of being a part of what He is doing for His own glory. And so we've looked at a little bit about prayer. We've looked a little bit at, at why we pray. And so now having seen that, Let's go and look at an example of prayer that we find in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15, and please follow along with me as I read. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so this is an incredible passage there's a lot going on in these verses but if we if we kind of zoom out and we look at the the main overarching kind of big picture request of what paul is praying here what he's effectively saying is that god would give the believers in ephesus a greater knowledge and a greater understanding of himself that's it that's his prayer for them that God would make himself known in a greater and greater way and on a deeper and deeper level to those whom he has saved for himself in Ephesus. That's what he's praying for his fellow believers. Now, when we look at this, well, why does Paul pray this way? Why, why do we pray this way for fellow believers? Well, really, um, it, it's all that will truly last. Right, Our knowledge of and our relationship with the Lord. It will last and it will grow and it, it will be more enjoyable to our souls for all eternity. As we're with him. We mentioned Jesus' prayer in, in John 17 a minute ago. And in that prayer, uh, Jesus also talked about this knowledge of God. It, having this knowledge of God. And this is what he said. And this is eternal life. That they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. For an eternity, we will know, we will grow in our knowledge. We will enjoy the one who created, who sustains us, and who has saved us. And here Jesus says that's the very definition of eternal life with God. When we think about it, we think about prayer for other believers, and there's so many things that we could pray for, for other people, right? We pray for healing for them. We can pray for restoration in relationships that have been broken. Um, We can pray that they would have wisdom in in making decisions that they need to make, and there's all kinds of things that we could, we, we could pray and should pray for believers, but at the end of the day, the foundation of all of those things must be the knowledge of God. And when you th- really, when you stop and think about it, there is no greater, there's no more loving prayer that we can pray for fellow believers than this one. Um, you just think through some different things. When things are good, right, when, when in life, when things are good, what do our fellow believers need to know? They need to know that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. James 1, and so it leads to thanksgiving and praise. When there's tragedy, what do our fellow believers need to know? That he's the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1. When they feel alone, he will never leave them nor forsake them. Hebrews 13. When they're falsely accused and slandered, they know that he is just. And he will repay, Romans 12. When they sin against him. What do they need to know? That he is faithful and just to forgive sin and to cleanse from all unrighteousness, 1 John. You see how this all works together. Our knowledge of God is directly related to everyday circumstances that we experience in our lives. So we might tend to, when we come across a passage like this, we might be tempted to think that that praying that God would, would make himself more known to us is somehow kind of abstract. or or it's academic, or it's hyper-spiritual, or or something like that. But in reality, it's really the most down-to-earth practical thing that we can pray for others. Because as we said, our knowledge of Him and our relationship with Him is what sustains us through, through all that we experience in this life. And notice how this is brought about here in verses 17 and 18. Paul writes there, it's, By the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Who enlightens the eyes of the heart. This is is a supernatural thing. This is miraculous. This this does not happen unless God does it. And of course this happens first at the the moment of regeneration. Those who are, are spiritually blind receive spiritual sight. Those who were in darkness are brought into light. But notice here in in this passage, Paul's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to believers. These are people that have already been regenerated, that have been justified, that have been converted by the power of the Spirit, who have gained spiritual sight. And yet Paul continues to pray for more wisdom for them, that they would know God more, that God would continue more and more to enlighten their minds that the Spirit would more and more reveal the the person and the works of God to them. Paul writes this way in, in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That we as believers might know as much of God as we possibly can as we progress through our lives. And many have made the point in these verses that um, it's not just knowing about God, right? Um, but rather knowing him in this, this intimate fellowship and relationship. And there is a distinct difference. Um, there are plenty of people that I can say I know about, but I can't say I know them. You know, athletes, actors, people from history, um, all sorts of people that I can know facts about. But I can't shoot him a text and, like, go out to lunch next week or something. Right? It's, it's a very different thing. So we don't just want to know about God. We want to know him. So personally, deeply, intimately. And when we look in, in verses 18 and 19, um, we see three truths there that Paul prays that the believers in Ephesus would know. Three requests that he... he he talks about it, makes known. First of all, we see in verse 18, Paul prays that they would know the hope to which God has called them. The hope to which he has called them. So if we're believers in Jesus, if we have been saved, we've been called. And God is the one who has called us. He's called us individually. He's called us undeservedly. He's effectually called us and he's called us to something and he's called us for something um, and, and paul prays that the believers in ephesus here might know the hope of this call if you remember paul will go on to tell them in chapter two uh paul writes this that at one time they were separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now when God tells you you don't have any hope, you don't have any hope. But praise be to God, He has given us hope in Christ Jesus. It's, it's hope of eternal life. It's hope of the, the redemption and restoration of our bodies. It's, it's hope of forever with our Savior and our Lord. And here in Ephesians 1, Paul prays these believers would be given supernaturally by by the revelation of the Spirit of God and and understanding and a knowledge of the hope that they now have because they are called in Christ Jesus. What, What an incredible thing to pray for our fellow believers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would know the hope that they have been called. The the second truth that Paul wants the believers in Ephesus to know in this text, um, also in verse 18, is that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now here, the the word saints uh, refers to um, those who are believers, those who are born again. The the word literally means holy ones. So those uh, who are set apart to God those that are pure and holy um, because of their union with Christ and because they are in Him. Again, all believers. So this is not a, a subset of believers. Um, these are not some group of super-Christians. You know, It's not something like we would see in the, in the Roman Catholic Church or something, for example, but it, it refers to all believers. They're saints according to Scripture because of their union together with Christ. And as we look at this phrase, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, it's it's an interesting way to word uh, this phrase. Because when we read it, it actually allows for two different ways to understand what's being said here. Um, And both understanding kind of have some biblical support to them. The, The first way of understanding this phrase Is that God is the possessor of the saints, which are his inheritance. So so the idea here is that God has created us. He has saved and redeemed us. He's brought us back to himself. And therefore, we're his possession. We are his inheritance. Um, This kind of language is is found often in the Old Testament when, when referring to the nation of Israel. A lot of times they are, are God's possession and inheritance. So then the, the glorious part of this then would we'll refer to the glory that God receives because he has brought us back to himself. It's an interesting thing to think about. And, and it's one way that this phrase could be understood. Um, there's a second way to understand the way that, that Paul writes this phrase. Um, and that is that God is the giver of the inheritance to the saints. So in the first point, God gets the inheritance. In the second point point of view here, God gives the inheritance. Um, And most of the commentators that uh, I read do favor this second point of view, um, that he gives the inheritance. And the reason is because there's a similar verse in the book of Colossians. And in the verse of Colossians, in in Colossians, Paul is also praying for believers. So it's a, a very similar context. And he mentions the inheritance of the saints. However, in the verse in Colossians, it's clear. It's very clear that Paul is referring to the inheritance that God gives to the saints. And so our principles then of interpreting Scripture tell us that clear passages help us interpret the not-so-clear passages. So then in this second view, Paul is praying that these Ephesian believers will know the riches of this glorious inheritance that he has given to them. Now, what do we know from Scripture about this inheritance? Um, Perhaps not as much as we would like to know. Um, If we look in Ephesians, Paul's already mentioned this a couple of times in chapter 1. Uh, verses 11 and 14. Verse 11, our inheritance is granted to us because we're united to Christ. And therefore, we're co-heirs together with him. It's nothing we've done to, to earn or deserve it. It's because we are connected and joined together to him that we receive this inheritance. In verse 14, we see that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, it's, it's like a down payment or a guarantee that we'll receive the fullness of this inheritance later on. So verses 11, verse 14, Paul said this. Um, and the only other mention of inheritance in this letter is actually in chapter 5 where Paul writes that everyone who is sexually immoral impure or, or who is covetous that is an idolater will not gain this Inheritance. Um, so, like we said, Scripture doesn't give us as much detail, perhaps as we would like, about what exactly what this thing is. Um, we do know that various places in the New Testament, we read phrases like inheriting the kingdom of God, or inheriting eternal life, or inheriting salvation. We we do read those phrases. Um, we know that in 1 Peter, we're told that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and kept in heaven for those who believe. And so it's this, this all of these things, that this inheritance that Christ has earned, by being God the Son, through His perfect obedience to the Father, all of these things... Or ours Again, not because we've earned them, not, not because we deserve them, but because we're united to him through faith. who has earned them? Who is Christ? Uh, many have pointed out here in, in verse 18, and, and also looking back up to the previous verses that uh, Paul has wrote, uh, written here in chapter one, that Paul has kind of covered a, a complete timeline of salvation for all who believe. He speaks of, of calling here in this verse, which looks backwards in, in time. Um, and really, again, going back to the previous verses, all the way back to eternity past, because Paul writes about uh, being elected and predestining Christ, being chosen from before the foundation of the world. we look to eternity past and then here by mentioning this glorious inheritance he's looking all the way forward to eternity future and what we will enjoy forever and it's all what God has done for us and so when we see that when we see things like that in scripture what does it do for us it leads to rejoicing right Incredible joy and what hope and what peace comes when we know these things of eternal weight and eternal measure and perfect goodness. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. It's kept in heaven for those who believe it. It leads to thankfulness. It leads to worship. It leads to the praise of His glory, as Paul writes in verses 12 and 14 here in chapter 1. And this is the way Paul prays. This is what Paul prays for these believers in Ephesus. That they would know these things. That they would would know the hope of their calling and the richness of this inheritance that they have in Christ Jesus. And when we come and we read things like this and we reflect on them and the example that they give to us, we cannot help but, but stop. And to reflect on our own prayer life. To reflect on our own prayers for one another. One another as. Fellow believers. Is this how we pray for one another? Do we pray that we might know the goodness. And and the richness. Of these things. So we've seen here in this text. Two things. We've seen the hope. To which he has called them. We've seen the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then. Thirdly, Paul prays on behalf of of those in Ephesus that um, in verse 19 that they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And we come in and we ask, what is this immeasurable power that that Paul's talking about? And Paul tells us in the text, he writes in verse 19, 20, he says it's, it's the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the power that has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places in verse 20. It is the power that put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church in verse 22. These are, are three uh, successive events that display this power of God. Resurrection to life ascension and session of Jesus to where he now is interceding for us and then the putting of all things under his feet and and making him head over the church. And notice that in this verse, in 19, the prayer is that Ephesian believers would know the greatness of this power as it is toward us who believe. So this same power that, that accomplished the raising and seating of Christ that accomplished the, su- the subjection of all powers in this age and in the age to come, this same power that has established Christ as head over the church, that same power is what God has put towards us in Christ Jesus. Now there's, there are a lot of ways that, that God shows forth his power toward us who believe it, it may be in in healing from an illness right it, it's incredible power of god that he does that it, it may be um sometimes he arranges people and, and events in our lives and that so that, that someone can get a job and provide for their family right and, and it's a wonderful thing it, it may be in rescuing someone out of an addiction that they have that that's destroying their life so many ways that god shows his power But this specific verse in context, the prayer of Paul for these Ephesian believers to know this is is so vital. It's so important as as I was thinking through this. I'm afraid that so often we don't, um, either we don't understand or we don't acknowledge or we don't recognize um, or, or really give, maybe we just don't give thought to the immeasurable greatness of his power and the working of his great might in the salvation of a soul from sin and from death and from hell. It is a miraculous act of God. Um, You know, a lot of times um, on Thursdays um, when Willie and Kitty are here, a lot of times Kitty and I will, will, will talk about this just miracle of children, right? Because they have coal, and uh, she helps watch him, and, um, and, and we have Lydia, and um, we see this just incredible miracle of life, and we, we watch him grow and, and develop. Lydia's latest thing is, is reaching out and trying to grab stuff, so um, that opens up a whole new thing at home of trying to keep stuff out of reach and, and everything else, but um, when we see this development in their lives, we don't want to take what the Lord has done in the birth of a child for granted. Right? It's, it's incredible. It's a miracle. It, it leads us, we marvel. Right? We stand in awe of the power and the greatness and the goodness and the sovereignty of God and what He has done in working to bring forth a human life. Well, this is no less true of spiritual birth. What an amazing miracle it is when when the Lord saves, when he turns a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, when he brings from spiritual death to spiritual life. As Paul will, will say in the next chapter, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. In the same way that we marvel and we stand in awe of the power and and greatness and goodness and sovereignty of God, in physical birth, we want to marvel and stand in awe at spiritual birth. What, What an incredible prayer that Paul prays here for the people in Ephesus. That they would know God more fully. They would know hope. They would know the riches of this inheritance. They would know the power of God. But you know, there's a very important point here that that needs to be made as we look at this. Um, And that is that the Spirit of God does enlighten the mind to these things, as Paul prays. It it is supernatural. It's a miraculous thing that the Spirit does. However, the Spirit does not work in a vacuum, um, independently of anything else, right? It's like praying for our daily bread, right? We we pray for that, but we don't pray for it and then sit and wait for it to drop in our lap, right? We're responsible then to go and work, and God will provide through that. Uh, Same is true of knowledge of God that that Paul prays for here. We're, We're responsible for growing in this knowledge. The Spirit works to bring this knowledge through the Word of God. And, and I'll close this morning with, with an illustration um, that was, was very impactful um, this week as, as I was reading. Um, There's a man named H.A. Ironside. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but um, he was a pastor and, and a theologian and, and an author. He wrote some commentaries on Scripture and, and he wrote some other things. Um, he was a pastor at Moody Church in Chicago actually during the the 1930s and 40s. And he recounts, uh, tells a story of this time that uh, he went to visit an an older gentleman um, who who he knew to be a a very godly man. And and this older gentleman was dying from tuberculosis. And um, so Ironside went to to see him. An older gentleman invited him in. He said, I understand that, that your your desire is to preach Christ. And Ironside said, yes, sir, I, I do. I desire to preach. And um, so the, the gentleman asked him to come in and to talk with him about the scriptures um, as he was suffering there from uh, tuberculosis. And after a while of, of speaking with this older gentleman, Ironside, which he was incredibly encouraged by this visit. His his, his soul was nourished in speaking with this man who who brought out truths from Scripture that that he had never seen or considered or or heard before. And so Ironside asked this guy, he's like, look, what what book have you studied to to glean all of this stuff? What, What class have you taken? What seminary did you attend to learn all these things? And the old man replied to him, he said, My dear young man, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in the north of Ireland. There with my open Bible before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and to open the word to my heart. And he taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I ever could learn in all the seminaries and colleges in the world. The Spirit works through the Word that we might know Him, that we might know the hope of our calling, that we might know the riches of our inheritance, that we might know the immeasurable power that God works towards us who believe, but there's no magic bullet, no shortcut through through the deep, intense study of Scripture, through prayer, our own prayer, But also, as we see in this example in Ephesians, our prayers for each other. And in doing so, we we work together with that. We strive and we seek to know him. And as God reveals the, the riches of himself to us, we are led to worship and to obey. Then let us, together, individually and together as a church family, let us strive to search the scriptures, to know God more and more and let us pray for others to do the same to the glory of God let's pray Father it is an incredible thing that you have revealed yourself to us you have told us about yourself you have Father given us um, ways to communicate with you and you have given us examples Father, may we seek to know you. Lord, may you work in incredible ways that we might know you as God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.